Amen. If you have your Bibles, get those out and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, it's towards the back of your Bibles. You'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and then 1 Corinthians 16. I love that we sang um, Heart of Worship after the PowerPoint went out. When all else fades and all is stripped away, even the PowerPoint, as we come back to the heart of worship. Love that. Um, I have this kind of scratch in my throat, and I've, I've discovered that when I talk loudly, I don't cough. And then when I <coughs> try to talk quietly, I cough. So I'm going to be loud, uh, and it's not because I want to yell at you. It's because I want to be able to get through this without hacking up a lung. So uh, thank you for your kindness with that. I was uh, at the playground this week uh, with my boys and noticed a bunch of kids riding those little balance bikes. You know, their legs do this, and they, they ride the little balance bikes. And, and I don't know how far back those things go as, like, a way to learn how to ride your bike. I don't, did, did anybody learn how to ride their bike with a balance bike? Did you guys? You did? You all learned how to ride? Not you. You were training wheels? Yeah, training wheels. Anybody learn with training wheels? Yeah, I go back even before training wheels to the time where my dad stuck me on a bike that was way too big for me and just sent me careening down a hill. <laughs> you know, <laughs> two wheels, just, you got it. That was, the, that was the original balance bike. It was just like, you got it, son. <laughs> and it's like careening down a hill. Um, I was thinking about that because this month we are discussing the, the balance bikes, the training wheels of the Christian life. Spiritual disciplines, spiritual disciplines, spiritual habits and practices that sort of train us to be the men and women who can then follow Jesus freely. We've done this for the past several years, looking at spiritual disciplines from various perspectives, like disciplines of mission and evangelism, spiritual disciplines of rest and, and respite, uh, spiritual disciplines of relationships. And this year, we've been looking at uh, spiritual disciplines as it relates to, to money to how we handle our wealth, uh, training wheels of money management for the Christian life, if, if you will. Uh, as uncomfortable as it might be, uh, God speaks a great deal about money in the scriptures. Uh, there are over 2,000 separate verses about money in the Bible. Uh, this might surprise you. Close to 20% of everything that Jesus taught was related to money in some way. The Bible presents uh, money and our handling of money as, as a central part of our Christian discipleship. Uh, a central part of what it looks like to follow Jesus is how we handle our, our wealth. Uh, God is not just interested in your spirituality in some sort of, you know, theoretical in the cloud sense. Uh, God is interested in transforming every square inch of your life. Every square inch of your life which really is, is true spirituality when we, when we recognize this. And we've, we've titled this series uh, Stewards, because that's what each of us are. We are stewards. We have been created for stewardship, to, to steward God's resources. So by way of quick recap from the past few weeks, what is stewardship? Stewardship is the spiritual discipline of managing God's resources for his glory and for the good of other people. It's important to make clear at the start that despite what you may have heard, uh, God actually owns everything. 
God is the bank, okay? Uh, Jesus taught this in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, uh, which we covered in week one. Everything that you have, everything that you possess, whether your house, your property, your financial assets, your relationships, actually belongs to God. Uh, scripture pictures uh, God as uh, uh, the good king, and we are his subjects. God even pictures, uh, scriptures even picture God as the good master with us as his slaves. God is the good father with us as his sons and daughters. Everything that we have belongs to God. And to go a step further, everything that we are, who we are, belongs to God. And as king, master, and father, he graciously entrusts to us a, a little portion of his property that we would use it for his purposes. He invites us to participate in his family business, if you will, of sharing the good news of Jesus, of expanding his kingdom to every square inch of life. It's a, it's a wonderful privilege, a wonderful privilege that we get to participate in the mission of God. So said simply, stewardship is how we manage God's property for his purposes. And, and that simple definition helps us to make sense of money as Christians. How do we think about it? As a general rule, money is a gift. It's a blessing from God that he wants us to multiply, pass on, and pass down. Money is not an inherently bad thing, as the ascetics would lead you to believe, that we need to avoid uh, and be afraid of. Proverbs 10.22 says, It is the blessing of the Lord that brings a person wealth. But lest we fall into the other ditch and become materialists, Money is also not an ultimate good. We sh should never chase after wealth as a primary goal. Scripture also teaches that wealth can at times be a curse. It can have a corrupting influence on the, on the soul and society. Proverbs again, 11.28, 11.28 says, He who trusts in riches will fall. Money is kind of like a, a new technology or, or uh, a fuel source like nuclear energy. It has immense power, both for good and for evil, depending on how it is used, how it is stewarded. And so to summarize with a question, how does God want us to manage the financial resources that he has given us? We talk a lot about what he wants us to believe. What does he want us to do? In the last two weeks, Adam helped us with this. As we looked at the discipline of generosity and the discipline of contentment, you can go back and, and listen to those. Uh, and, and both of those disciplines, along with everything else that we're talking about, really only matters when it comes from a transformed heart. When it comes from a transformed heart. Right? We, we are generous because we are, are enamored by the generosity of God in, in sending his, his only son for, for our salvation to purchase our life. Philippians 2 says that the Son of God did not count his heavenly riches and status a thing to be gripped. But instead he gave it up and he condescended. He gave everything up to pay the debt that we owed for our sin in order to, to purchase our belonging to God's family. And in doing so, he raises us up out of spiritual poverty that we might be spiritually rich. And we are content with what we have because Jesus, we, we, we believe out of, a, out of a pure heart that Jesus is enough to satisfy my desires. He's enough for me. 
Jesus is enough for me. And we close out this series with a topic that I think is familiar for pretty much everyone, whether you grew up in church or not, and it's the topic of tithing. Tithing. I uh, would love for you to consider even just like what, what initially comes to mind when you hear the word tithing. I think about like the, the passing of the, the bread baskets uh, down the aisles, right? You know, uh, I, I grew up in church, and so you'd pass the bread basket, and you'd make sure that everybody in the aisle knew that you had uh, forgot your wallet that day, <laughs> pass it to the next person, right? Uh, what comes to mind when you hear the word tithing? Uh, perhaps it makes you uncomfortable. It, get, it kind of like gives me the creeps a little bit for some reason. Like it, it makes me feel uh, uncomfortable or this like sense of pressure. Maybe you feel like a sense of fear, like someone's going to take advantage of you. Like I, I, I relate to that. But this word, tithe, which we get from the Bible, uh, it, gets a, it gets a bad rap because we misapply it, we misunderstand it. You know, just for one example, on the front end, Far from being a burden, tithing was more often described with a sense of joy and celebration in the life of God's people. Second Chronicles 31, 5 to 6. At the moment the command to give was spread, the people of Israel gave in abundance. They brought abundantly the tithe of everything they had, the cattle, the sheep, and the dedicated things, and they laid them in heaps. So we need to do some reimagining this morning as we consider the spiritual discipline of, of tithing, which, which most of us understand as giving to the church, giving of our financial resources to the church. We need to do some reimagining. And to do so, we gotta back up. We're gonna ask three questions, okay? We're gonna ask, what is tithing? What is tithing? Number two, is tithing a requirement for Christians today? And why we're asking that question will become plain to you here in a moment. Uh, what is tithing? Is tithing a requirement for Christians today? And then the third question is, how then should we give? Okay, how, how then should we give in light of the answer of those first two questions? Now, before I do that, uh, let's read 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 to 3. Uh, I'm going to come back to it later, but I want it to be kind of marinating in the back of your mind as we move forward. So 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 to 3. Paul writes, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. May God write its eternal truths upon our hearts. Okay, zooming out and stepping back. What is tithing? Uh, the passage we just read has much to say about our giving, but you may have noticed it didn't mention the word tithing. Okay, that's because there are only three verses, only three verses in the entire New Testament that, that mention tithing. And most of them are indirect references to the, to the practice, which don't really help us answer the question of, of how we should give. Uh, the bulk of what we know about tithing comes from the Old Testament. So that's where we need to start. Now, in case these categories are unfamiliar to you, uh, the Old Testament is what you could think of as like part one of the biblical story, and the New Testament is part two. And what separates these two testaments is the coming of the Son of God into earth and the person 
of Jesus Christ. That Jesus radically reshapes the way that we relate to God. The life of Jesus is the the fulcrum of the biblical story and and really, frankly, the the fulcrum of human history as a whole. So when we go back and look at the Old Testament, we're looking at the time before Jesus came. We're looking primarily at the nation of ancient Israel and their covenant relationship with God as he set them apart from all the nations of the world in order to prepare the world for the coming of the Messiah, for the coming of Jesus. And one of the things that God did was provide them a legal code, which included an entire economic system. Now, he didn't do this because he's a tyrant and he wants to control everybody. Uh, He did this because he loves us. Every human civilization has a system of law and order to maintain the common good of society. God simply gave Israel a better one. Okay, now, brief aside, the Old Testament gets a bad rap too. (laughs) Uh, If you look back and compare the laws of Israel to the code of Hammurabi, or other uh, ancient Near Eastern uh, religions at the time, any reasonable person will conclude that God's law was better and far more gracious, as I hope you will see as we, as we move through. So in Old Testament law, we find the command to tithe in several places that fall into three primary categories, which we'll look at in a moment. The Hebrew term tithe means tenth. It means tenth, okay? Tithe means tenth. Uh, a tenth a tenth of your material property, 10% of your material property. And that's why many Christians today believe that we should give 10% of our income to the church or at least give 10% of our income away. But as we'll see in a moment, uh, the the people of Israel actually gave far more than 10% uh, because there were multiple types of tithes along with temple taxes, uh, along with free will offerings, okay? Uh, I know what you're thinking. You're like, oh, uh (laughs) uh-oh. I think 10% was hard enough. Come on. Uh, This is the wrong week to come to church. But stick with me, okay? Stick with me. There were three types of tithes in the Old Testament. The the priestly tithe, the festival tithe, and the benevolence tithe, okay? The priestly tithe first. Uh, We see this in Numbers 18, verse 21 to 24. God says, I give to the Levites all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for the work that they do, serving at the tent of meeting. So the Levites were the the priestly tribe, and they didn't have an inheritance of the land. And so they they lived off of the tithes of the the rest of the people of Israel. They brought the tithes to to the Levites. He goes on in that passage to specify a yearly tithe given to the priests. And then the priests would then give 10% of what they had to the high priests. Okay, so there's this cascading 10% that goes through uh, the, the priests. Now, this is hard to directly apply to us today uh, because Jesus is the, the true and better and final priest. Okay, we don't. We don't come to the altar to a special priest with special robes and special qualifications and present sacrifices. Jesus is the qualified one who, in his own life and death, presented the final sacrifice. He's the priest. Uh, So in that sense, there's some discontinuity. Now, we do have pastors who serve some similar functions uh, in terms of overseeing the spiritual life of God's people, facilitating worship. But that's still difficult to apply directly because, like, as a pastor, I, I have the ability to own land. I have the ability to work multiple jobs. Okay, these were things that the, the priests uh, were forbidden to do. Now, that being said, there are some principles here that we can hang on to that we'll come back to in a moment. That's the priestly tithe. Number two is the festival tithe. 
This, this is my favorite time. It's one of my, it's really one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Uh, it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 14. Deuteronomy 14, 22 to 26 is a separate tithe, the festival tithe. Deuteronomy 14, 22. Set aside a tenth of all your produce each year. And I want you to eat the, te- the tithe of your grain and drink the tithe of your wine and the tithe of your olive oil and eat the tithe of your firstborn from your herds and your flocks in the presence of the Lord at the place he will choose. And if that place is too far for you and you can't carry all your tithe, your stuff, uh, then exchange your tithe locally for silver and take the silver with you to Jerusalem and use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, strong drink, anything that you wish, and there you and your household will feast in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. What a beautiful passage. I wonder, uh, Jade and Joy, do, you, do your classes ever have like class parties where you get a break from, from like the schoolwork and you get to, to eat cupcakes? And just, uh, those are like your favorite days, right? Your favorite days of school, right? Yeah, party nine. Yeah, God, God wanted his people to celebrate like that too. Like he, he wanted us to take time away from the normal rhythms of life to come together and to feast with the people of God in celebration. And here again, we see God's generous heart for the flourishing of, of people. Now, again, this is difficult to apply in a one-to-one sense. We don't throw giant you know, festivals for all the Christians in Richmond that we need to, to pay for. Uh, now, we do similar things on a smaller scale in the form of our weekly worship gathering here and other events that we use your giving to fund. Uh, but again, uh, it's difficult to go uh, kind of a one-to-one application because these festivals included the entire nation of Israel. It's a really big deal. But again, I think there's some principles that we can hold on to. So what do we have so far? So far, we've got, uh, we've got how, much, how much giving do we have? We got 10% to the priests. We got a separate 10% to the festival, so that's 20%. And then there's a third tithe, the benevolence tithe. Uh, did we just do that one? No, we didn't. The benevolence tithe. It's the same passage, uh, Deuteronomy 14, uh, 28 to 29. Now, this tithe was interesting in that you were on a rotation of every three years you would bring this tithe. At the end of every three years, uh, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. Uh, and you shall give of your tithe to the sojourner, or the foreigner, uh, to the fatherless and to the widow. All who are within your towns shall come and eat and drink and be filled. And the Lord your God will bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. The benevolence tithe or the mercy tithe or the welfare tithe. Now God cared very deeply about providing for the poor. And so a portion of their tithe, uh, roughly 3%, you know, on average, because it was every three years, was given to provide for the foreigners in Israel, was provided for the widows, the fatherless, those who didn't have an inheritance of their own. God is truly gracious and merciful for those who are in need. Uh, So what do we have? We have roughly 23.3%, right? Because you got the the 10 to the priests, the 10 to the festivals, three every three years for benevolence. And on top of that, they added their free will offerings and temple taxes. And so even if you drew kind of a parallel, some do this, draw a parallel uh, between uh, ancient Israel's tithing and modern, modern day like income tax, that's kind of similar amounts. 
uh, the, the people of Israel still gave away far more than many of us do in terms of percentage. And before we explain that away, let's let that sink in for a moment. Let's let that sink in for a moment that these people who, who did not even yet know the full scope of God's generosity in the person of Jesus Christ gave away, some estimates say, 30 to 40% of their income. It's a big deal. It's amazing the way that they lived in this uh, communal one another. So let me summarize. What is tithing? It's giving away a tenth of your possessions, and they did this in multiple ways, in order to provide for their leaders, maintain their communal life of worship, and provide for the marginalized. These tithes were a baseline, a starting point. Like my boys clearing the table after dinner. They got to clear the table after dinner. That's the starting point. That's the baseline. They can do more if they want. They can clean more if they want, but they got to, they got to, at the very least, at the bare minimum, they got to clear the table, uh, which, uh, you know, ends up making a bigger mess um, than we started with, but that's beside the point. Um, Tithing is like training wheels. It's this stabilizing baseline that trains the people of God to hold their wealth with open hands. That's what tithing is all about. Second question, is tithing a requirement for Christians today? Right, We've been living in the Old Testament, but we live in the sort of New Testament era. So is tithing a requirement for Christians today? Uh, the short answer is no. The short answer is no. Uh, the longer answer is yeah, sort of. Okay, so no and yeah, sort of. All right, so I try not to tangle us up too much, but um, is tithing a requirement for Christians today? No, not in the legal sense, in order to be righteous before God, okay? Jesus is our righteousness, right? God doesn't look at your, your giving to the church or your tithing or really anything else about your life to determine if you are worthy to commune with him. He doesn't look at that. He doesn't look at that. He doesn't look at you. He looks at Jesus, and then he applies the righteousness of Jesus to you, so you are, are perfect and holy and you are, are welcomed into the presence of God, not because of what you do or how much you, you give, but because of your trust in Jesus who qualifies you. See that? He fulfilled the ceremonial requirements of the Old Testament law. So in the same way that he freed his disciples, I think this is a helpful, this is a helpful analogy for us. In the same way that he freed his disciples to pluck grain on the Sabbath, which was also against the technicalities of the Old Testament law to pluck grain on the Sabbath. In the same way, he frees us from the burden to tithe as a means of holiness before God. And what did Jesus say? Uh, uh, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In the same way, tithing was made for man, not man for tithing. That's the, the heart of it. But similar to Sabbath, we are wise to practice the discipline of tithing because it's good for our souls. Now, while you are not legally bound by God to take one out of seven days of the week to rest and focus on your relationship with him and your family and your friends, you're going to be a much healthier person if you do that. God wove that into his law for a reason. Uh, Similarly, it is good and right to, to set a percentage of your income 10% 10% as, as a, perhaps a baseline, a starting point, and, and give of that money to the church to provide for your spiritual leaders, to contribute to the church's communal life of worship, and to, to collectively care for the marginalized. 
Now, that doesn't mean that you don't give more to missionaries or to other charitable organizations, but, but the 10% principle, if we're going to apply it as a principle, always starts at the household of God. It starts at the household of God and then moves out from there. So is tithing legally required for Christians today in the sense of be, being holy before God? No. No, not in terms of the reasons, not in terms of the exact percentages. But is tithing, or you could just say giving a set percentage to your local church, a, a good principle and practice for Christians today? Yes. We would be wise. We would be wise and loving to give a minimum of 10% of our income away, and perhaps even more beyond that. A friend of mine once said, if your heart is hard, give 10%. If your heart is soft, give whatever you want. If your heart is hard, give 10%. If your heart is soft, give whatever you want. And again, just like our practice of Sabbath, when we lean into this, God promises to bless us. First and foremost, with his, his presence and his care, but even at times with further financial provision. For as he says, those who can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. Now, that's a, that's a principle. It's a general rule. It doesn't mean that faithful Christians don't sometimes fall on hard times. Okay? And it doesn't mean that the wealthy are necessarily wealthy because God's blessed them with it. But as a general rule, if you trust God with your finances and you give generously, he will take care of you. He will honor it. He will bless it. So in summary, we're talking about stewardship, managing God's property for his purposes. One way that we do this is by tithing, setting aside 10% of our wealth as a baseline, a starting point, as training wheels to provide for spiritual leaders, communal life of worship, and care for the marginalized, okay? So what does this have to do with 1 Corinthians 16? How then, should, how then should we give? Okay, we just talked about a principle. We just talked about a principle. But in practice, what does that actually look like? What, what does that actually look like on a week-to-week -week basis? I want to help us with this, and I'm going to run through this pretty quickly. Okay, how then should we give? I, I credit my, my ethics professor, Dr. Jones, for helping me see, man, just how much is in this short passage and it's super helpful. I want this to be helpful for you. I don't want to just inundate you with, with information. I want this to be helpful for you as you go about your week and think about what to do with your, with your money. And the first uh, thing that we see in 1 Corinthians 16, the first principle, is that they prioritized their giving. There's going to be four Ps. They prioritized it. Okay? Because they came out of this Jewish tradition, this tithing tradition, what did it look like practically? It looked like they prioritized it. Look at uh, chapter 16, uh, verse 2. On the first day of every week. On the first day of every week. So we know that the early church gathered for worship on the morning Jesus rose from the dead. First day of the week, Sunday. And this means that Paul's instruction is for them to give of their resources every week on the first day of the week. Okay, You feel this. It's, it's, it's prioritized. It's prioritized above everything else. It's the first day of the week. Before they spend, before they do anything else, on the first day of the week, they give. Now, our context is different. You may not be compensated weekly. You may give online regularly, whatever, once you get paid. But uh, the principle is that we prioritize our giving. Okay, now, how are you doing with this? Well, let me give you a practical step you could take to prioritize. One thing that you can do 
is you can budget your giving before everything else. Before you budget everything else. You budget your giving first. Okay, it's the principle of first fruits. We give our, our best and most valuable to God before anything else. It's actually really similar to scheduling your time. Right? It's a helpful principle. Right? We, we schedule the things that are most important first, and then all the other little stuff kind of falls in around it, like trying to fill a bucket with rocks. You put the big, most important rocks in first, all the small stuff falls in around it. You go the other way around, you try to fill it with all the small stuff, the big rocks aren't going to fit. Right? You know that when it comes to spending your time. Right? It's, it's hard to fit in the most important things unless we schedule it first. Similar with our finances, we don't get out in front of it. Again, first day of every week, if we don't get out in front of it and budget it first, man, all the, the demands and the various things that come up are going to take precedence. What does it look like to prioritize our giving, to budget it before we budget anything else? It's just set, okay? All the other spending, it's gonna have to fill itself in. Number two, so it was prioritized. Number two, it was planned. It was planned. Look at again, verse, uh, verse two. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. You, you see that? Put something aside and store it up, right? There's planning that's involved. It's, it's planned. He's calling for intentionality with regards to giving. Uh, now, he, he's, he's not trying to just um, do what many pastors do, making an emotional plea for, for more giving, right? Offering heart-wrenching stories with Sarah McLaughlin playing in the background, right? That's not what he's doing. He's saying, hey, plan this out, set it aside, store it up, okay? He, he calls for planned, thoughtful giving. How are we doing with this? One practical step you could take is to plan regular giving rather than sporadic one-time uh, amounts here and there, okay? One way that you can, you can do this is you can, you can plan regular giving, right, um, that, that comes out uh, at certain times each month, certain amounts, right, rather than just when you feel it, you give. Now, it's good to, to give freely when you want to, uh, but it's also good to get out in front of it and, and plan it, set it, again, so that it comes out in, in regular intervals, right? It's planned. Spontaneity is not bad but it's not sufficient. And oftentimes if we lean just on spontaneity, we, we forget that it becomes difficult for us to manage. And then it becomes difficult too for the church to, to budget, to know what we have coming in. If it's just an amount here, an amount there, it's helpful when it's a planned amount on a regular basis. So if you don't give regularly, uh, a real practical encouragement is to set that up. You could, you could set that up to the church through the website you could set that up and you could toggle it to give at certain uh, times a month, you know, maybe after you get paid, like Nikki and I do uh, uh, twice a month after each time that we get paid. So it's, it's planned. It's, it's cyclical at regular intervals. So it's prioritized, budgeted before everything else. It's planned. It's, it's regular. It's set aside. Number three, it's proportionate. This is important. This is really important. Uh, look at uh, verse two again. On the first day of every week, each of you just put something aside, store it up, as he may prosper. As he may prosper. What does that mean? Later in 2 Corinthians 8, he encourages, encourages them to give according to their means. In other words, each person is to give in proportion to what they have. Folks with greater wealth are going to be able to give larger amounts than folks with less wealth, and that's okay. He doesn't set a harsh standard 
and then compel everyone out of obligation. He encourages us to give willingly and to give wisely. And this is where percentages can be really helpful because while a wealthier person might give a larger amount of money, both the poor and the wealthy can give with a similar heart of generosity when it's based on a a percentage amount. And I think this is where the percentage of 10% can can be helpful for us. So how are you doing with this? One practical step you could take is to look at the percentage of your giving based upon your income. Now, uh, because of the tithing principle, I think, I think 10% is a good baseline, um, but you may have to work towards that, right? If you don't give at all, you may, the wise thing to do might be to work towards that, okay? Uh, or maybe you need to give more than that, right? It needs to be proportionate to what you have, okay? Again, the point is not to give out of pressure or fear, but out of thoughtful intentionality as we take steps to love God with everything that we have. A great way to do that is to take a set percentage. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 16, on the foundation of the tithing principle, we prioritize, we plan, we give proportionately in the last one. And here's where I'm gonna start to bring the plane down. We, we're landing. We're not crashing, we're landing. Uh, our giving is to be plentiful. Plentiful, look at what he says. On the first day of every week, Put something aside, store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit to carry the gift to Jerusalem. In other words, Paul wants there to be enough money when he gets there so they don't need to frantically run around and scrounge for more. They have what they need. And he will take a portion of their giving, take it to Jerusalem to help the church there that was facing a humanitarian crisis. The church in Corinth was wealthy. They had less Christians and they were wealthy. Jerusalem had a bunch of Christians and everybody was poor. It was a a broad socioeconomic spectrum. They had all these people that came to Christ during Pentecost and they didn't know what to do with everybody and they got all these widows and it was chaotic. And so these other churches like Corinth gave to help care for their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. So the point is that our giving is to be generous. It is to be plentiful in order to meet the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ, both within the body and outside, which part of the way that we try to to practice this as a church is we give away 10% of our congregational income to other missionaries and organizations that need our help. And that's on top of money that we budget for benevolence and care in our own community. Our giving is to be plentiful because God has been plentiful in his provision for us. Our material and spiritual needs, friends, are well met by the generous Lord who shares his riches with wretches that he loves. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, I say this not as a command, but to prove that your love is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake became poor, that by his poverty you might become rich. What an amazing Lord we have. Regardless of how generous we've been, despite the ways we've been selfish, despite the ways we've been self-protecting and preserving of our resources, God has poured out his life for us. His grace is plentiful. And it has power to heal our hearts and to show us that he will take care of us so it is safe to sacrifice. And in all of this, the, the engine that drives us is love. It's love. 
I say this not as a command, but so that your love may be genuine. It's love. It's love. It's not law. It's love. It's not law. It's love. It's, it's a heart that has received the love of Jesus and grows to, to love others more than we love ourselves and our own comforts. It's love. A heart transformed by the love of Jesus looks like riding a bike without training wheels. It looks like freedom. It looks like joy. It looks like laughter. It looks like the wind blowing through your hair. It looks like sometimes taking risks to go over some, some jumps because of the pure delight of it. Love. Freedom. It's this love and this freedom that led Jesus to give us his full inheritance so that we might become rich and give freely to others. So we prioritize, we plan, we give proportionately, and we give plentifully because God has done all of those things for us. Lord Jesus, first and foremost, I pray that in a special way, in a special way here and now, we might be enamored by your generosity towards us. Would it not fall on, on deaf ears and dull hearts this morning that you have given up everything for us? God, would you transform our hearts to receive your love and then to be a channel of your love to other people. And would that affect how we handle everything that you have given to us, which ultimately rightly belongs to you. Thank you for being such a good God and for helping us along the way. In Jesus' name, amen.